0: Good morning, Covenant Fellowship Church. This is my last time preaching as a member of this church. Words can't express how much I'm grateful for you. You really are a special church. And while I'm excited for what the Lord has for us in the weeks ahead Please know that it comes with a lot of gratefulness and sadness. It's bitter, bittersweet that we will, in just two weeks, no longer be members here of Covenant Fellowship Church, but we will be gathering together in Malvern, Pennsylvania, as a new church to the glory of God. And I, I believe, I asked Jared, and there's, you know, numbers to... To compute here, but I believe we are the 15th church planting endeavor that Covenant has largely been a part of. Now that includes some replants and things like that, but that is an astonishing number. That means that Covenant has been involved in church plants on average about every two to three years. I know since I was thinking as I was driving in, since I've been here since 2010, we are the fifth that I've seen go out. Yeah, (laughs) praise God. And yet, look, we sit here rich and full. God has blessed this church. How is that possible after sending out so many people, after giving out so much money towards these efforts? How is it possible that we are still sustained here together as a church? Well, as I considered what to preach on this Sunday, a particular text very quickly came to mind that I believe shows us how this is possible. And while I'm not Usually wanted to think of titles for my messages, and I'm certain this title wouldn't be approved and it won't make it on the website. I'm calling this message my love letter to Covenant Fellowship. So, (laughs) it's a thank you. Because what we're going to talk about today is how God uses His people to further His mission. And in that, you, church, are exemplary. We just heard a testimony minutes ago. That is an example of what God is doing through this church. As I was preparing for this, something came to mind. You might have recently seen the documentary, The Rescue, or watched the movie 13 Lives, both of which tell the tale of the 2018 rescue of young soccer players in Thailand who were trapped in a cave there with their coach. If you've seen this, and particularly I encourage you if you haven't to watch the documentary, it really is amazing, then, then you're aware these, these young men had gone into a cave like they had done many times before. However, on this day, the heavens opened and monsoon season came early. They had made it two and a half miles into this cave when the floodwaters came, and they were only able to survive deep in a pocket in the heart of this cave. What then ensued was a global effort. To first figure out if these boys were even alive in there, and then to figure out how in the world can we possibly get them out underwater in tight spaces for two and a half miles. Thai seals were brought in, cave diving experts were brought in, local townspeople set up a a working village for rescue workers. In the end, more than 10,000 people were involved in this rescue effort. 100 divers, 100 different government agencies, 900 police officers, 2,000 soldiers. There were hydro specialists at the top of the mountain, diverting water away from cave openings, and there were specialists at the bottom of the mountain, pumping water out of the cave. There were farmers who sacrificed their fields so that millions of gallons of water could wash over them, destroying all of their crops so that these boys might be saved. And in the end, after 18 days, $9 million and countless amounts of manpower, all 13 of these lives were saved. It really is miraculous. I encourage you to watch this. And what struck me most about this incredible rescue was the vast community effort That it became, without the sacrifice of the farmers, without the food provided by the volunteers, without the aid of various countries, without the money and resources provided, without specialist divers who spent their lives doing this, none of these men would have made it out of this cave. When I think of you, Covenant Fellowship Church, this is what I see. I see the Lord using the varied gifts and resources of his people to accomplish his mission. So my hope for this morning is that you would be spurred on, remembering how God delights to use each and every one of you for his purposes. And I hope that you are encouraged because you are a church who is faithful to this call. Valley Creek stands as a testimony to that. So please turn with me, if you would, to Exodus, yet again. I know we've been there for a while. Exodus 35. It's a bit of a longer passage. We're going to be reading 35.4 through 36.7. To give a little background, Moses and the people of God, they're wandering in the wilderness following their exodus, their salvation by God from Egypt during this time. The Lord gave Moses his law. We just walked through the Ten Commandments series. That was part of what God gave. And then there were instructions that God laid out of how his people ought to worship him. Part of that was the construction of a tabernacle, a portable house of worship. This was the center of Israel's worship practices until the temple would be built by Solomon many years later. The tabernacle was the location where where God's glory would fall. It was at the center of their camp and where God would dwell among his people in a special way. The tabernacle stood as a visual reminder of the holiness of God and what was required for sinful man to commune with him. As such, God gives meticulous details on just how this was to be built. We actually get these instructions twice over in the book of Exodus, once in chapters 25 to 31, and then again in 35 to 40. Now, now some scholars wonder why these instructions would be repeated so similarly, so close to each other in this book. But I think that there's something wonderful and not that hard to see here. Because in the first account, God primarily reveals what is to be done, but then in the second account, he shows it being completed. We hear of how God used his people to complete these detailed plans that he had laid out. And not just that he uses his people to complete this, but that they do so with great joy and faith and enthusiasm. There's an emphasis in this passage of the eagerness and the willingness of God's people. And as we will see, there is much reason for enthusiasm, much reason for joy, and not just for these Israelites, but for us today. Because what's true for them is true for us, and it's this. God equips his people for joyful participation in his glorious purposes. God equips his people for joyful participation in his purposes. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that we can come together today Thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you have revealed to us. And I just ask, Lord, that our hearts would be stirred today. Help us, Lord, to join with you in all that you are doing. Help us to submit to you in faith that you might work out your glorious purposes in and through us. Father, I ask that you be with us now. Help us to hear and receive from your word. We pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thirty-five, four. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, "This is the thing that the Lord has commanded: Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution: gold, silver, and bronze; blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goats' hair, tanned ram skins." And goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for the setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its, its tent and its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat and the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils and the bread of the presence. The lamps stand also for the light with its utensils and its lamps. And the oil for the light and the altar of incense with its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen for the door and the door of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and, and its bases and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place. The holy garments for Aaron the priest and garments for his sons for their service as priests. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses and they came. Everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting." And for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and, and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects. Every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord and everyone who possessed blue or, or purple scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or, or tanned ram skins or, or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver, Or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood or or any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands. And they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skills spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece and spices and oil for the light and the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, see, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri." The son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, and cutting stones for setting and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach, both him and Oliab, the son of Ahasemach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skill designer. Bezalel and Oliab and every craftsman in whom the Lord had put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all <clears throat> that the Lord has commanded." And Moses called Bezalel and Oliab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him freewill offerings every morning. So that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Praise God. Praise God. The people bring much more than enough to do all of the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. Oh, don't we, we want we don't we want that to be said of us, Covenant Fellowship Church. This passage, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of things listed. There's names. There's items. There's yarn. There's linen. But it's much more than lists of supplies. It's a glorious reminder to us that God uses his people to accomplish his purposes in a cycle of faithfulness and blessing. So we're going to focus today on three things, how God calls his people, how God equips his people, and how God's people are to respond. So first, God calls his people. Verse four, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded you. The scriptures are full of God's commands for mankind. Some of them are commandments of restraint, thou shalt not steal. Some of them are commandments of virtue, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And some of them are commands to specific works such as Noah and his ark or Moses and the tabernacle. And it's that kind of command that we're considering today as the people of Israel are commanded to construct this tabernacle, which was to be Israel's place of worship. Typically, when we think of commands and being told what to do, we aren't stirred with excitement, but rather we can find ourselves irritable and grumbling. Particularly, we take issue with others if they ask us to do things that we believe they could easily do themselves, which, if anything, we know about God is that he could do anything by himself. He is omnipotent. He is unlimited in his power. It is by his word that he created everything that we see. So that leads us today to consider, why does God ask us to do anything? Couldn't he simply just make all things happen? Couldn't he simply just snap his fingers and bring the tabernacle into existence so that his people could come? We're told in the book of Acts that The Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. Heaven is my throne, says the Lord, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me? Did not my hand make all these things? God doesn't need us. He doesn't even need our worship. He's worthy of it, but he doesn't need it. So why then is he asking Israel to make him this tabernacle? Is it just busy work? Is it the, the whimsical request of some divine tyrant? Well, what our passage reminds us this morning is that no, it's not just busy work. It's not unreasonable request being made by some tyrannical God. God has tasked his people with this as a gracious and loving invitation to participate in what he is doing on this earth. By calling for a free will offering, he's making it clear that when we worship him, when we take part in his works, it's not to be out of some slavish obedience, but rather out of a willing heart. God forces no one to worship him. And while it's true that God is sovereign over all that happens, Scripture reminds that that we do still have wills, and somehow in that great paradox of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, we are willful agents. As such, God here is asking for the fulfillment of this command to be done by those with generous hearts, verse 5, by those whose spirit moves them, verse 21. God isn't forcing these people. He's inviting them. He's inviting them for His glory and for their good. God is a God who works, and He created us in His image. As such, from the very beginning, God has delighted to use us, His people, in His good work, even in His redemptive purposes for this earth, nonetheless. We see this in the first pages of Scripture. He commands Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, a command that we really shouldn't be complaining about. He calls them to tend to the garden, to to protect it, to to keep it. This, This would not have been a tedious task, but one that would have involved unending joy and eternal happiness for them. We were made to enjoy God and to work The glory and the praise of his name. And despite the disruption that our fall into sin has caused, God's call on our lives to fulfill his commands does not have to be a burden, but can be and should still be great joy for us. And just as Israel was called here to construct the tabernacle, we too have calls on our lives. That's why we are planting this church. There are macro calls, big picture things that God plans to use us all in. We're still to be fruitful and, and multiply and fill the earth. We're, we're to reflect God's glory to the earth. And in this time after Christ, we are called to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all of His commandments. This call exists for us. And that's a good thing. It is a good and glorious thing that God has called us to be part of this work. The God of the universe, holy and transcendent, delights to use his people to complete his good works. Think of this. When God involves us in his work he gets more glory than if he had just done it by himself. Otherwise, he wouldn't do it that way. That's incredible. This this is who God is. He, He eternally works in community within himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we have been invited into this. Better is one day in his courts than thousands elsewhere The psalmist says in Psalm 84, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than in the tents of the wicked. It's better to be one of the lowest positions of service in the service of the Lord than to not be in His service at all. Church, we have been called. Scripture tells us that if we don't speak, if we don't make the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ known, it won't go forth. Now, we know God will accomplish it and he uses us. But God could appear to all men. God could speak directly to every man's heart. Angels could come, make everyone believe. But no, God wants to use ordinary people like us to tell others about Christ, that they might believe in him. And you understand this, church. Again, that's why you have set out And sent out so many church plants to make the gospel of Jesus Christ known, to expand the kingdom of our God. That's why Jim does so much with the bridge course and these other offerings. That's why we have Bible studies and prayer groups because we know we've been called by God. Like Israel, we know there's a call. But I also want to point out, it's not just that there's this macro call on all of us. There is. We all have this mission that we're to set out on. But see in verse 30, God has a specific call for Bezalel and others. Something he specifically had to do in this overall mission. And that's true for us as well. My friends, not only have you as an individual been called by God generally, but this God who knows each of us intimately has as we are told in Ephesians 2 prepared specific good works for each of us to walk in. So as a church we are planting this church but then within that call there's all these different roles all these different ways that God delights to use us many skills to be employed. As pastor of Valley Creek Church, I stand just as one very, very small part of all that God is doing to establish this church. And that takes us to the next step in this cycle of faithfulness and blessing. God calls and God equips. The people of Israel had just come out of Egypt where they had toiled under Pharaoh, making bricks for his building projects. We're told earlier in Exodus that as Pharaoh became increasingly angry with Moses, he heaped heavier burdens upon the people of Israel. Pharaoh decided that to punish the Israelites, he would continue to require them to make the same amount of bricks that they had been producing, but now he would no longer give them the straw that they needed to make those bricks. From now on, they'd have to go and gather straw for themselves. The Israelites were, of course, unable to meet this demand and they were beaten and they were harassed for their inability to complete this heavy burden. Well, now these same people are being asked to construct something else, except this time by a much different ruler. This is a God whose burden is easy and whose yoke is light. This is a God who we are told will meet all of our needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. He is nothing like Pharaoh. This is a God who goes with us and before us in our labor, who provides and equips for any work that he calls us to. So when he calls us to plant churches, covenant fellowship, we don't have to be afraid because he will give us the supplies that we need to do so. I love this passage so much for the way that it displays how God equips his people. We see here this gigantic, I mean, it's a huge list of, of garments and tapestries and bowls and dishes, all these things that need to be made, all these things by a people who are out wandering in the middle of the desert. <laughs> and yet our God provides each and every, it makes specific mention so that all the craftsmen who are doing every sort of, every sort of task Each from that task, God makes sure we know every one of these tasks was provided for over and abundantly so. And He does this through His people by the power of His Spirit. We so often think of God's Spirit empowering us to minister, empowering us with faith, empowering us for miraculous works, and that is right and wonderful. But do we often think of God's Spirit empowering us to carve wood? God's Spirit empowering us to to spin wool or to hem curtain seams? We are told that the Spirit of God filled Bezalel with skill, intelligence, and knowledge. And why did he do this? To devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, to teach and to train. God's Spirit empowers His people to complete the most mundane of tasks for His glorious purposes. If you know how to put together a gathering, that's not just because you're good at it. That's because God's Spirit is working in and through you. This passage shows so clearly how God's people are meant to act as a body, each with different giftings and abilities, but moving and working together as one to complete the mission that he set before us. Each and every one of the Israelites had something that they could provide. Men and women, it's significant that the women are mentioned here in this passage. God wanted to be clear. All are welcome in his service, all are a part of his purposes. Each of them had something they could contribute, something they could do, however small it seemed. My mind kept coming back to an example of this elsewhere in Scripture to the widow's offering that we read of in Mark 12. We're told that this poor widow came, and she put two small copper coins that equaled a penny into the offering box of the temple. We're told that this is all that she had in the world, and she put it in. To those looking on, we'd think, well, she did not have much that she had to offer. But Jesus, he looks at her, and he commends what she has done. He holds her up as an example of humility before God and a willingness to sacrifice And the Lord has certainly used her as an example. But I was musing on this. How the Lord uses the smallest of things for gigantic purposes. How the Lord used this insignificant offering of this poor widow woman in massive ways. I mean, just think of it. This widow only had two small coins to offer. Yet that small contribution, I believe, has done more in this world than we could ever imagine. Think of the innumerable amounts of people who have been challenged to trust the Lord by her obedience. Think of the innumerable amounts of money that have been given to further the Lord's work because people were spurred on by the example that she set. Think of the countless lives that have been saved because of this small contribution. And all because this poor widow trusted the Lord and gave of what she had. How kind of our God to use us in this way. I think of the testimony that was shared. This seems like a small thing. Come up on stage, share your testimony. Lori, thank you for doing that wherever you are. You have no idea what the Lord might do through that. There are people who are going to be set free because they heard your testimony. Thank you for using it to the glory of God. Oh, church, this is how God moves through us. If you're tempted to believe the lie that God has not equipped you for his service, I know what that's like. I used to struggle with that. Don't. (laughs) Yes, it's true. We have nothing to offer him in lieu of our salvation. Like we said, God does not need us, but your God has blessed you in so many ways. You have lips to speak and hands to work. He's given many of us time and money and resources. He's given us hearts to pray. He's skilled us to do every sort of work under the sun. I've been made so aware of this as we've prepared for this plant. I, I wish I had time to just tell you all of the stories of the way I've seen this play out, but, but I'm aware of people who have faithfully been praying for a church plant in the Malvern area for years. People inside and outside of our church who, who, unbeknownst to me, have been praying specifically for the church building that we're moving into, that God would do something there. One woman's been praying since the 80s for that. There are countless numbers of people in this church who, through their discipleship efforts, their example, their encouragements, have prepared men and women who are setting out on this planting endeavor. The generous outpouring of financial resources not only sustains the ministries in this church and serves many outside of it, but it set our plant up for a successful launch in a location that will allow us to minister faithfully to the community that we're in. People have invested time and energy teaching and training folks on our plant. People have invested time caring for marriages and families, all of which strengthen and position us better to serve. There are Those among us who set examples in hospitality and evangelism. Those who have labored tirelessly, raising up God's children, godly children, some of which are taking part in this plant, some adults and kids. I've seen God meet crazy specific needs. For example, and (laughs) this is just a strange one to me, we really had a desire that puppets would be involved in our children's ministry. What does God bring us but a family whose life work has been professional puppet ministry to the glory of God? <laughs> it, I mean, it, yeah. We've encountered some very specific real estate situations, and God's given us specialists here at Covenant and among our church who know real estate law and real estate transactions. There's handy men and women who've helped us ready our building. There's members of this church who don't, who don't bat an eye at watching children so that parents are freed up for the work of ministry. We're gifted with folks how to use, who know how to use technology, folks who can teach God's word and understand it, people whom God has gifted at welcoming others in. I could go on covenant fellowship, but it would take all day because there are so many ways that God uses us. God has equipped his people so that they might participate in all that he intends to do on this earth. And he's equipped them abundantly, as our passage reminds. Each and every one of you in this room, you have been called. If you are God's child, you have been called to take the gospel forth, to be part of that work. And each and every one of you has resources and giftings unique to you That God has given you, that you might use them for His glory. So let us be good stewards of that wonderful and varied grace. And that brings us to our last point God's people must respond. So God calls His people, He equips His people, and we must respond. As we said, God does not force people into His service. God asks in these pages for a free will offering. He wants his people to be involved in his work with a willing and cheerful heart. This is the refrain that we see through the scriptures. God loves a cheerful giver. And what we see here in this passage is that the people of Israel heeded this call. Empowered by the Spirit of God, they knew that they had been called by the God of the universe who desired to dwell among them. They were being called by the God who had miraculously saved them out of Egypt, the God who defeated Pharaoh and his armies. And it's for this God then that they were building a tabernacle so that his glory might dwell in and among them. Though this was a free will offering to the Lord, if the people truly knew who their God was, the only appropriate response was that they would contribute which is what they do. They respond with such faith and such enthusiasm that as we said, Moses had to put a halt to their contribution. The workers were overwhelmed with God's provision through the hands of his people. And I will say this says much less about the people and their faithfulness than it does about God and his worth. All of this coming in points to the immense value and worth and wonder of our God who is worthy of any sacrifice, worthy of anything that we might give, he is better than it. Amen. This is what our God has done. Covenant, I've seen the same sort of sacrificial faith and enthusiasm as we have prepared for this plant. You as a church As I just listed, you've responded to God's call because you know he's worthy of your sacrifice. We have been abundantly provided for. I've said many times, we really have an insanely gifted group of people going with us on this plant people who have been Bible study leaders and small group leaders who know how to put together a, a charcuterie tray like no one's <laughs> business, people who have real estate skills, people who have, I mean, just any warmth and welcoming and hospitality, gifts of faith and prayer. We have all of this. And the crazy thing is, even though we're taking 50 people with us with a host of great skills and abilities, this church is still filled to the brim with the resources needed to carry on the mission. You are a blessed church. And you're blessed because you've been faithful to the Lord. Out of his mercy and grace, he's drawn us in. And as you've heeded his call, he provides what's needed so that that mission continues. This cycle of faithfulness, blessing, equipping, all coming from our God. You look at your money and your time and your skills and you've laid them down at the feet of Christ and you have said, what do you require? What can I, how can I take part in what you are doing? God has given us all that we have so that we might be faithful stewards of it and use it that he might be glorified. Everything. And hear this, the work that we have been called to is even more glorious than what Israel was called to. God tells us that the tabernacle and the sacrifices, these were all a shadow of the things that were to come. The fullness of all things are found in Christ. Church, the glory of the Lord now resides in and among us God's people. We are his temple and his spirit has been poured out in a measure that even Israel did not have. We get to be a part of making disciples, of expanding God's kingdom to every nation, every tongue, every tribe on this earth. Imagine that. We have the spirit in a way that these people did not have, yet they experienced the glory and the joy of the Lord as they eagerly participated in that work. How much more should we? How much more have we been given? We all have a choice of what to do with what we have. Covenant fellowship, continue to be a people who open your hands with what the Lord has given you. Be a people who are active and engaged in what he is doing. If you are here and and you aren't currently serving anyway, or you're hearing this message and you think, "I, I don't know if I've done that with my life. I encourage you to do so. God has great blessings for you. And if you're someone who has been pouring yourself out for Christ, giving generously of what you have, thank you. Thank you for your example. Thank you for your generosity and your willing spirit. This church is full of so many of you and is better for it. And if you're here and you've never participated willingly in the work of the Lord, if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would be remiss if I did not encourage you today to do so. We've talked a lot today about commands and requirements, but know this, we serve as a people who have been served by the Almighty God. Because though we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and we don't deserve a single ounce of the resources or the good or the kindness that we have been shown in our lives, this God sent His Son to be made like one of us, to die for us in His perfection that we might be with Him. Again, God using a man, the God-man, to complete his purposes here on this earth, and he did this for us. He did this for you if you would accept him today. And if you do accept him, know that he has great plans and great purposes for your life. We serve as a people who have been served. We serve as a people who've been given new life and we move forward in mission together, planting churches, sharing the gospel, ministering to one another, knowing our great God has called us to this, invited us into this. He will equip us for it and he will pour out great blessings of abundant joy as we participate. God is worthy of all of our efforts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you we thank you that you are worthy of all of our praise. Lord, we thank you for what you are doing in this church. Thank you for testimonies like Lori's. Thank you for the, the countless lives that sit here represented, representing your grace. And Lord, we pray for more church plants to come out of Covenant Fellowship Church. We pray for church plants to come out of Valley Creek Church. We pray for your kingdom to expand and lives to be saved, all that you might receive the glory and the praise that is due your name and that we might enjoy you forever. Help us, Lord, to be a people who are eager and willing to participate in your work. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.